Hi, this is Katie. This is Philip. This is Chelsea. This is Lindsay. And this is Hanging with, with My Cronies. Um, today, I thought we would talk about biofuels, something that I'm quite interested in. What biofuels are, what impact they have on the environment, on our future energy consumption as a planet, so we don't all end up in a dry husk of a interstellar type existence. <laughs> and how algae and zebra poo can save the world. Really? Mm-hmm. Can anyone say, does anyone know anything about biofuels? What does that mean? Fuels for biology. Sure, it's a caffeine. Yeah. Basically. Coffee. Lindsay, what do you think of when you hear biofuels? Well, I think of corn and ethanol. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. The use of biomass to generate fuels. There's a corn fuel station about a block away from my house in Berkeley. Have you guys seen that? I oh, have. Yeah. The bio oasis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So have you been there? Do you know what that, like... Can't put it in my car, so... So technically, coal is a biofuel. Technically? Technically? Really? How so? Because it's fossilized organic matter. It's fossilized tree, wood. So that's a biofuel. Wow. Technically, by the definition. Yeah. Wood is a biofuel, so it's any biomass that can be used to generate energy. The most commonly known biofuel is ethanol, bioethanol, purified from corn. That was sort of considered the first generation of biofuel. I didn't know that corn made ethanol. Well, corn can be fermented to generate (laughs) ethanol. Now sugarcane's pretty big too, right? In certain parts of the world, yes. Like in, in the Middle East and South some... America also. Okay. Um, and we'll touch on that as well, because again, with the drive to try and generate biofuels, which supposedly have a lower carbon footprint, generate less greenhouse gases, the flip side of that is, particularly in South America, they're clearing out such large areas of forests, deforestation to plant these sugarcane groves that it's actually, as a result increase in the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere because plants absorb carbon dioxide, deposit into the soil, and when you clear the forests out, you're actually increasing the greenhouse gases. So, very good segue. This touches on to a main part of the subject. So yes, we have ethanol production from corn, and with the fermentation product being the alcohol, that can be monitored using... I know that there are a lot of customers out there using columns like Aminex to monitor both the ethanol production in a fermentation broth, but also to measure the sugar levels to see how far their fermentation has gone. Um, so both of those, like the efficiency of their reaction, as well as like how much yield they're producing at the end are, um, I'm assuming, important to these biofuel producers. Right. And as with your beer production podcast, using the columns to monitor the alcohol production, but not for consumption by us, but for consumption by the internal combustion engines. I wonder if anybody has tried using, no, probably too low an alcohol (laughs) beer to power their car. (laughs) I'm sure there are people somewhere that have tried it. Weren't there people who were like taking corn oil from, like used corn oil from restaurants to like convert their engines and use as a fuel source yeah biodiesel biodiesel yeah that's a very big area of of the biofuels research okay it really started to take off in the uk just before i left there 
Um, and exactly, people were going around with their old VW and Mercedes diesel cars to chippies and asking for chip shops, fish and chip shops, big deep fat fryers. And they'd ask for their old oil from the fryers that they'd filter and sieve and mix with ethanol and throw in their cars. It produces less carbon dioxide emissions. It's oil-based, so it produces less wear and tear on the car's engine. And you drive around everywhere with the wonderful smell of fish and chips. Everywhere you go. It's <laughs> I wonder win, how win, win. sustainable that is through growth, though, right? Like, I have no idea. Like, how much corn oil do we use? Of course, aside from the other biofuels, but for biodiesel and these people who are using it from restaurants, we probably just have, like, a limited supply, right? Or do we? I don't I have no idea. Well, if you think how, I mean, just go around an average... U.S. city, how many fast food restaurants are there? Not as many as Starbucks. There's like but... two in Berkeley. Okay, well, Berkeley, <laughs> Berkeley's not that representative. But it's a way to use a byproduct from another industry instead of waiting until it solidifies and putting it in landfill or sneaking it down the drain when no one's looking. It's a way to reuse that waste product. So is that considered um, like a second generation biofuel? Biodiesels, yes, more so. The first generation biodiesels were primarily producing ethanol from corn that could then be added to traditional petroleum. Being taken and reused into something else. So isn't that isn't that like a little bit more of a for the like more of a bio biodiesel? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's not based on the um, petroleum production from the okay. fossil fuels. Yeah, it's using cooking oils, usually plant extracts. So I have a question for you, Philip. Mm -hmm. Biofuels have been in the news um, a lot in the past, I'd say, 15, 20 years. Where did they get started? Where, what was the first biofuel that came about on the market? It was the ethanol additive to petrol. Okay. To try and give more energy from the petrol and clean up the emissions. Okay. And so is that both gasoline and diesel or is it just diesel? Because I know we talked a little bit about No, that was originally that was in petrol, petroleum, gasoline. Okay. Um, more so than diesel. Diesel is, <laughs> if you buy a Volkswagen, it's apparently the cleanest fuel on the planet. <laughs> Very low emissions, or maybe not. Um, but it produces less, diesel produces less greenhouse gas emissions, but has a higher particulate emission. Mm -hmm. um, and so with diesel being able to move away from the petrochemical source altogether with the cooking oils, it was describe which are plant extracts with the addition of ethanol that could be produced from the corn, then you have a more biological source for the fuel. But initially it was simply adding ethanol to gasoline. Okay. And was that a good thing for the engines? I, I've, my grandmother is very anti-ethanol and gasoline. Does she drive a sort of 1960s Buick or Cadillac or something? Well, she drives a Buick, but I think it's from the 2000s. So it works better with newer cars with older cars you had to have lead additive in the engine in the petrol to help with the engine so in the newer cars without the lead the ethanol doesn't cause a problem it's perfectly fine and safe to be used in cars and doesn't cause yes. a, um, additional particulates in the engine to harm the engine no no it actually burns cleaner because it's a purified organic okay so i was just reading up on the history of biofuels and um, 
I learned that one of the first inventors to convince people of the use of ethanol was actually a German named Nicholas August Otto. And um, this was in the early 1900s. So biofuel has been around for a really long time. And another interesting fact is Henry Ford, when he designed the Model T car that um, you know has, was around between 1903 to 1926, this car was actually designed to use hemp-derived biofuel as the fuel. But, hemp? Um, hemp. Hemp. Yeah. Okay. But with the exploration of huge supplies of crude oil, some of the parts of Texas and Pennsylvania um, which are, you know, petroleum heavy, became very cheap. And thus this led then to the reduction of the use of biofuels. That's interesting. That's two different things that you said there. I think in biofuels, we often think automatically about cars. So it's really, yeah, yeah. firewood too, yeah. of course, is a biofuel. Then on the other side, I wonder if the restrictions around like marijuana, which I think historically also included some restrictions around hemp products, had some effect on that not taking off. I wonder like where that went. Um, I know that hemp production was restricted by the cotton growers. Yeah. Because it had benefits compared to cotton, but they were very rich. Exactly. They were very rich and very powerful. So lobbying against it. Lobbying against it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because hemp can grow pretty much anywhere, whereas cotton needs a very specific environment to be able to grow and flourish. Mm -hmm. I think this area has a good climate for hemp production, doesn't it? It seems like there's a lot of Uh smaller scale production going on. I think the Northwest is like um, famous for having the right soil, especially north of us, like up near Washington, for having the right soil conditions for things like hops and Mm -hmm. marijuana, which are all from like the same family of plants. I like this line of discussion because it's actually quite a good segue into one of the problems with the use of corn for production of ethanol for biofuels. Number one, you're taking away a food crop and repurposing it to the production of fuel for an internal combustion engine. A second issue is that it's a food crop that requires very specific growing conditions. It requires a lot of intervention by the farmer. It requires a use of a lot of pesticides, a lot of fertilizers, which add to the runoff pollutants that go into the water supply. And one of the main aims of biofuel is to reduce the production of greenhouse gases from the internal combustion engine. The growth and processing of the corn and then the fermentation and the generation of the ethanol actually can end up producing more carbon dioxide and more greenhouse gases than are saved by using the crop. With hydrogen energy, I know that it's like a cleaner method for energy, but the production is really not so great. But once we scale higher and more people use it, is it the same with like corn fuel, what you're talking about? Like it could be a cleaner production if it was adopted by a... Everything could. It's the... Well... Economies of scale, right? Isn't that you know, journey to the Mars could be much easier to do if yeah. More. But the difference of like fossil fuels, right? Yeah. Like is not great when everybody's using it, but it could be different with something with like biofuels on the production side. Yes. Okay, absolutely. But you were saying that basically, whenever we use corn for the biofuels, that if it's on a smaller scale, we're actually generating. Please correct me if I'm wrong. We're generating more um, carbon emissions than the other substitute and also taking away a food source. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So all of the energy that's required to grow these crops, Mm -hmm. harvest these crops, transport them, 
process that generates more carbon dioxide than you're actually saving hmm. if you were just doing it all with your petrol so, diesel tractor. Are there any solutions that we found or other crops that are more sustainable for this kind of thing? That's a very good question. And yes, so that's what helped lead from the first generation of biofuels, which was based primarily, as we said, on corn and ethanol, into the sort of second and third generation. And that's where they're looking to diversify away from food sources, because you then have the moral dilemma of, I'm growing, you know, 50 billion tons of corn to send to the processing plant, not to feed the hungry people, but so my car can run a bit cleaner. So moving away from that source to more sort of general biomass source. Um, again, plant-based. Sugarcane is commonly used in large areas of Latin America, but that also has a consideration of you cutting down all the rainforests and jungles to grow your sugarcane. And we could be using that for alcohol. <laughs> you do. I mean, what's going to happen to our rum? That for? Yeah, our rum supplies rum. down south now. <laughs> Indeed. Besides sugarcane, what are some other sources for biomass? So they can be byproducts of other plant-based. So instead of taking the corn seeds and using that to generate ethanol, send the corn seeds off to the food processing plants. Use the stalks from the corn plants. Use Break the what? The stalks. Stalks. <laughs> Sounds like you're saying stork. <laughs> Because again, you can break down the nitrocellulose, you can extract the organic compounds, you can ferment these. Anything with sugar, right? Alcohol. Exactly. Anything that's an Anything efficient that supply source. of sugar and probably, and this is just like speculation, more complex carbohydrates like we talked about, because it can ferment longer in these processes and I would think create more alcohol. So are there partnerships between food companies and biofuel production companies you know, so that they don't have that transportation problem to where they're side by side, where you have someone that's harvesting the corn and the kernels rather than the seeds <laughs> and then taking the stalks and <laughs> making it into biomass. There's less cooperation. There's more competition currently. Okay. And it's mainly more competition from the growers because the growers can get more money for their kernels selling it to the food industry than to the biofuel uh -huh. industry. So I think on a smaller scale, you may have smaller producers that are also generating the ethanol and using that uh -huh. if they want that sort of organic, clean production process. Okay. But it's not on a large industrial scale. Okay. What do you think it would take to actually move it to that level, to where you have that cooperation between... Money. It's funding. It's where it's... All parties are going to profit from it. Do you know on the production side how this compares, like if we're looking at the whole picture compared to something like electric vehicles, like at scale is generating electricity for power from, I mean, it could be from fossil fuels or from like solar power or wind power, I guess is more applicable here. How does that compare to if we were at a sustainable level of producing like one of the more friendly forms of a biofuel. That's actually a considered a fourth generation biofuel. Uh, oh. Yeah, they're made using non-arable land, but they do not require the destruction of biomass. So it's kind of using, um, let's see, electrofuels 
um, which store the electrical energy from renewable sources and chemical bonds of uh, liquid or gas. So this goes back to like the hydrogen um, fuel fueled ah. cars. Um, and then also photobiological solar fuels um, are also considered one of these fourth generation. Okay, what are these things you're saying? You're saying like electrofuels, I'm gonna get these words wrong, and photo something or another fuel. Photobiological like, What are these fuels? fuels that's generating the electrical power? Like where is this coming from versus what we've been talking about? I mean, these these fuels are, you know, it's like things such as butanol or biodiesel, like we've talked about, or hydrogen. Um, and then for the, the photobiological solar fuels, this is more of like, um, basically chemical fuels that are being produced from solar energy. So I don't okay. know how that happens, but somehow. I, I guess for the electrical power. one, I know like you're saying that it comes from things like alcohol, but like what, is it the same corn and sugar cane? Like what's the raw source? Um, is it the- it's Well, I don't know where the, the source is coming for the alcohol, but it's, and, but somehow there's a process where they're storing this electrical energy um, in these liquids or gases. So that's pretty, sounds cool. (laughs) Yeah. The second and third generation is moving more to what they call the biomass, the byproducts, instead of using the food crops, um, using grasses as an example. Um, And what I really like is by using these plants to generate the fuels, during their growth, the plants are absorbing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and depositing that into the soil. Mm. So they're cleaning the air as they're growing, and then we utilize them to generate fuels that produce less greenhouse gases and less carbon dioxide. So they're then having to process less and deposit less into the ground. Cool, so they're scrubbing the air and they're creating less. That is, I've never considered that, but that's, yeah, that's neat. The thing that really interests me, and this starts to speak to what Lindsay was just alluding to, is now, looking at non-land-based plant sources mm. because you grow plants on the land, they need irrigation, they need some form of fertilization, they need harvesting, they need a lot of processing, often need transportation. You have oceans full of algae. Uh, he just wants to talk about Square Bob's sponge paint. Time to talk about <laughs> Square Bob. Um, Algae. Algae is a very gelatinous, oily plant. So it's not just used to produce ethanol. You can extract the oils from that and use that for biodiesel. And you can also ferment the byproduct, the leafy part, and extract the ethanol, purify the ethanol from that. And you've got the oily biodiesel and the ethanol. You put them together. Has anyone done that at a large scale? And how are they collecting that much algae? I mean, I know you drive past lakes at a bad season and it's like filled with it, but I imagine you need a lot, right? Are they propagating it themselves? And that's a really good question because I found a lot of interesting information on that. So they can be grown on different scales in various different ways. It could just be skimming off a pond. It can be grown in brackish water. So on the edge of oceans and estuaries where you can't grow crops, you're not using that water for drinking water or for irrigation. So you're not stealing, you know, fresh water supplies that could be used for other things. Um, You have these bioreactors that could be grown in or set up in deserts. 
it's a closed chamber so they just need to be in a brackish water supply and exposed to the sunlight and they just keep on doing what they do so in these photobioreactors because the algae grows so quickly um, their oil production per unit of plant that's what it says here <laughs> apparently that's a recognized unit of measurement can be hundreds of times greater than it can be for other plants that are used for production of oils like palm and soy. Um, and it has a harvesting cycle of one to 10 days, depending upon the type of algae. So they could be harvesting this every 10 days. Or is it, wow. you said every one to 10. Between one to 10 days, so depending be, upon the strain of algae. Yeah, so it so could be a daily harvesting, yeah. exactly. That's interesting. And from that, you're generating up to 100 times more plant based oils from the algae and after you've extracted the oils you then take the dried up leafy bits put them in the fermentation process extract the alcohol cool it's fascinating and it can be done in the desert where you can't grow your food crops are there any transport. negative effects of harvesting from certain sources as much algae i know in general like algae blooms are not great we have technologies we measure this with like in southern california and the beaches they're mm. using like digital pcr to do this i know it's a big technology um is that like is that they're just there's toxic algae and yeah right, but are the blue, there green algae mm -hmm. and the red algae are there situations where we could have potentially some negative effects on the environment by using so much from a certain place or maybe we're not there to know I mean, you could say that's exactly what we're doing with fossil fuels now, isn't it? We're tapping into a oh, yeah. but, finite resource. If it's done sustainably, like with any production process, if it's done sustainably, so you don't just go out there and completely remove everything from the... I guess that's my question, though. Like, what's the level of sustainability and where can we hurt versus where do we help? I think if it's done on a smaller scale in things like just skimming from ponds and extracting from the ocean, potentially there's negative repercussions from that if it's done using these photobioreactors in real production facilities where you control the environment perfectly and you're not dependent on external factors like a huge storm coming and blowing away half of your crop for example or you know a nice oil tanker going past and leaking oil into your yeah. production area so i think it can be done sustainably it can be done ethically because you're not using fresh water or food supplies elsewhere hmm. so to me it has the potential for huge benefits yeah algae is one of the most um, from what i understand efficient plants in being able to convert carbon dioxide to and, and growing and so tying into our space podcast um I read somewhere that the way that we will, we will actually be able to be interstellar and travel from planet to planet long term is actually using algae as a food source because it's so efficient at removing carbon dioxide mm -hmm. and then converting it to something that we could actually eat. So a biofuel for human energy? That's correct. Cool. Well, I mean, I know a lot of humans pr produce a lot of methane gas. That's a biofuel. That could potentially be... I think the capture step is what's difficult there. <laughs> <laughs> Production's not usually a problem. So I have another For question. some of us. I have another question about a source. Um, I compost, 
everything. My neighbors think I'm the weirdest person and are always complaining that our green trash can smells terrible. Yeah, that's why they think you're weird. Have you read anything about people trying to ferment our compost for a biofuel? No. No, I would think <laughs> hypothetically it's feasible. Of course it is. You'd, but it's the scale. At what scale would you have to compost to generate? Well, I mean, you could use the compost to help fertilize the land for the corn or the you sugar could. cane. Or you could use the methane gas that's produced from the landfills. Um, I've also read that there is um, a lot of research going around genetically modifying different organisms so that they're more efficient at converting biomass into fuel. Have, did you read anything about that? I did that, and that seems to be a focus on the algal fuel. Okay. Um, generation that yes they're looking to do exactly that to modify particular strains to make them much more efficient at the oil the plant oil level that they produce but also then the um once dehydrated mm -hmm. how they can extract the fermentation products for the alcohols so besides just you know having a successful sequestration of um carbon for making these um first generation biofuels, um, you know, such as corn or sugarcane, um, it's also really important to measure how successful the the crop is or how successful the company is at, at um, getting enough ethanol. Right, the efficiency of producing it. Right, right, right yeah. So, and, um, so chromatography is really important for this because um, it can help measure the levels of ethanol in each batch. And, and then they can determine, you know, what is a successful batch versus an unsuccessful one and how to um, improve it or mm -hmm. make changes to that specific And to batch. monitor at all steps through the process as well. Right. And particularly if they go down to what Chelsea said about genetically modifying plants, mm -hmm. the chromatography is a very quick and e easy way to analyze that and see how, mm -hmm. how effective and productive the yield is. is. Yeah. Yeah. I bet there are producers who are using it as like a raw material screening, maybe even to choose who they're buying their crops from or if they want like this season a crop or that kind of thing as well, since they're looking at fermentable carbohydrates as well as those alcohols. Um, so chromatography is an obvious step there. And I think that, you know, on the detection side, it's commonly done with like a refractive index detector mm -hmm. or something, because a lot of these don't have chromophores. So the last thing, because we always have to end up on poop. It's become a tradition. <laughs> um, one new area that's very interesting is microbial gastrointestinal flora. Hmm. There are certain varieties in certain animals that have shown potential for the production of biofuels. What animals do we think they are? A small number of people who have something called Otter Brewery Syndrome, so maybe humans, where actually like they produce their own ethanol in their stomach and they're constantly drunk all the time because they have the right kind of yeast and flora in their gut. It's, it's you're smiling like this is wild. Where do but I, I think get it's, this oh, yeast? It's a terribly debilitating <laughs> okay. um, situation to deal with, but there are actually people who are creating their own alcohol in their own gut every time they eat anything with sugar. I think it's really rare, but yeah. I think, so humans? <laughs> I think in certain places in Portland, you can buy that in bottles. <laughs> I mean, I've heard of cows breaking into orchards and eating all the windfalls and getting drunk with the apples fermenting in yeah. their one of four stomachs, but that's cool. So what are the other animals or what kind of species? So there's recent research that's been conducted on a particular strain of Clostridium bacteria that's found in zebra feces. 
and it can convert nearly any form of cellulose into a butanol fuel source. Wow. So the answer to all our problems is zebra poop. <laughs> and You're only saying this because you just went on safari. Well, this is true. I should have collected it while I was there. Um, the other thing is microbes found in pandas poop um, are used to create biofuel fuels from bamboo. How do they find this? There's some people that do a lot of research in poop. Yeah, but there must have been a jumping off point, right? Like some ob- observation that was made and they were like, Panda Maybe. poop, great source. I mean, pandas. Like, what happened? You look at pandas, they sit around all day and roll down hills. Maybe they get drunk from the sugarcane <laughs> fermentation and someone thought, hmm. <laughs> They're having a good time. They're what are they doing right? Time. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. That was a great discussion on biofuels. Um, looking at the alternative energy sources that we could have for this planet for the future. Help us maybe preserve this planet and prolong the time we can stay here before we need to move elsewhere and start again. Um, there's definitely potential in the resources provided by Mother Nature in these different biofuels, be that algal, be that plants, be that grass, be that zebra poop. I think it's, a, it's an area of great interest. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening. You can find us on Bioradiations. Don't forget to subscribe. You'll find us on the Apple Podcasts. And thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is an original creation of Biorad Laboratories. Biorad is a trademark of Biorad Laboratories Incorporated. All trademarks mentioned herein are the property of their respective owner.